Coming up on this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour, we are recapping the first two practices of the Sam Pittman era fall camp with updates on who's at practice, who's standing out, and lots more from Andrew Hutchinson. We also have new Hoops contributor Jackson Collier on to talk about Isaiah Joe's departure and a new grad transfer walk-on edition. All that and more coming up. Let's do it. Razorback fans, we're back. It's the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Arkansas Rivals, the Hogbeat.com. I'm Nikki Chabonel, managing editor and recruiting reporter, and I'm here in person with Andrew Hutchinson, our team reporter. Uh, we've been, you know, off for five months for the podcast, but plenty has happened. We're just glad that we can finally cover some actual sports once again. That's really kind of why we took the time off. Neither one of us really loves you know, the commentary stuff that happens when there's no actual sports going on. We didn't want to talk about COVID-19 every single week, so uh, we're finally back and actually talking sports. Um, Hutch, how are you doing? Doing all right. You know, I'm, I'm excited to, to get out and watch some football, uh, getting ready to take in some practice, and uh, it's just it's just great to get out of the house. You know, I've been on dad duty. Uh, my daughter is nine months old now. I love her to death, but I'm also excited to actually see some some real live sports, you know, in person. I'm I just I can't can't express how excited I am. So for those of you who don't know, the media situation here at fall camp, um, only one of us gets to go, and that's from us two. That's obviously Hutch. During the season, Hutch writes all the practice reports, unless. Oh, for some reason, he can't make it, which almost never happens. Um, so he's very good at making all the little observations that people don't really notice and making notebooks, you know, actually substantial and giving you something to take away from that. So um, after practice this, this week, like, make sure you check out those notebooks because he's going to have everything you need to know in those. But we get 15 minutes. We're in a six-foot box. Uh, you can't roam around the field. Uh, you basically kind of just get to see what's in front of you. Hutch has some binoculars, so that will help. Uh, but what are you going to be looking at most um, today, which is practice number two? Well, I'm hoping if, if I get a decent position, if I, my, my little six-foot box is in a good spot, I'm, I'm hoping to really focus in on the offensive line and the secondary. Those are probably the two positions that I've been most intrigued by this offseason, just because we don't know what those groups are going to look like. We know that there's pieces there, uh, but we don't know where they're all going to end up. Like, you know, Ricky Stromberg, he was a fantastic offensive guard last year. He, he played a, a mostly right guard, but also some left guard. But come to find out, he's getting some work at center as well. Is, is he the first team center? Uh, or is he one of the guard spots? Is, is, where's Ty Clary lining up? And then in the secondary, I want to know where all these guys guys fit. I mean, Jerry Jacobs, the, the graduate transfer from Arkansas State, uh, he's a guy that could probably play corner, safety, nickel, any of those spots. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see where he's lining up right now and where the kind of the depth shakes out at those positions because those, uh, those are the two I've been most excited and intrigued by as I kind of preview the season uh, position by position. We are recording this first part of the podcast before practice, and then at the end of the podcast, Hutch will give us his takeaways from actually seeing his first Sam Pittman um, practice. So make sure you stay tuned all the way to the end to get his takeaways from fall camp um, and what it's like under Sam Pittman. But um, it's taking a step back, um, this time that we've had off and Sam Pittman has been able to get to know his players a little bit. They had walkthroughs. Um, just give me your impression of the job Sam Pittman has done so far. Obviously, Kendall Bryles, Barry Odom, Hunter Juracek, and even a lot of the players have been very complimentary, but what's your impression? Yeah, I mean, the thing those guys all say is, you know, there's no, there's no first-year head coaching manual, and if there was, there's probably not a chapter on COVID-19 and how to deal with it. So uh, he's kind of been going at it, just kind of uh, kind of winging it almost because you don't really know exactly how to do it. But I thought he's he's done a really good job. I mean, you could probably talk about this more than, than I can, but it seems like he's done a really good job on the recruiting trail. 
You haven't been able to bring guys on on visits, which has always been a very important thing for Arkansas because it's not, you know, people people don't really know much about Arkansas if you're from other parts of the country. And the fact he's been able to recruit so well has been impressive. And just the fact that they've been able to seemingly get pretty far along on the installation. I mean, Sam Pittman said they, he thinks they're about 75% installed on offense, defense, and special teams. And uh, considering Monday was the first practice ever of the Sam Pittman era, you know, not including walkthroughs because they didn't get any of spring ball, uh, that, that's pretty impressive considering the, the uh, previous coaching staff was seemingly stuck at 30, 35% installed, you know, a full year into, the, into their tenure. I don't think it's hard um, for a head coach, even a new head coach right now, to um, look like you know you're you're doing a really great job with your team. Um, but then there are coaches around the country who've kind of put their foot in their mouth at times, or they have players coming out on social media expressing like concern that the staff maybe not. Uh, do everything that they need to do to keep them safe. We're not communicating as well as they should. Um, but Sam Pittman, at you know every juncture this this um, summer and in the spring, it just seems like he says the right things and he does the right things. And his players so far are really bought in to what he wants to do here. I think he's genuine. I think that's the big thing. People people don't think he's fake. They they can see that he truly does care about his players I mean we've seen I think Mike Woods has tweeted about that and some other players I've seen on Twitter have have said man this guy is this guy is real and players can recognize that even if it's just on you know zoom meetings or whatever uh, they can see that now obviously it's going to be different whenever you know the season starts and they start you know they he hasn't lost the game yet so uh, I'm anxious to see how they respond to that Uh, but so far he, he seems to have really won over the team so before practice today, I, I posted on Twitter, we posted on the message board that you know, we're going to get to go out there. People are posting what they want to see or what they want us to learn and, or glean from these practices. And I just love how everyone kind of wants us to just automatically like know how, how good this team is going to be. But it's going to take a lot more than 15 minutes every couple weeks to, to see how this team is going to be. But um, it seems like there's a lot of potential there, and at least with this staff, um, they they seem to really want to work hard. And based on the, you know, roster weight changes and stuff that we've seen, it, it does seem like they're putting in uh, the maximum amount of effort that they can right now. Yeah, I agree with that. the The roster, the weight changes were were incredible. We've got a breakdown on our website of of every player's uh, weight gain, but I mean. You look at the offensive and defensive lineman gains just tremendous uh, amount of weight, and that that's good. That is a Sam Pittman offensive line. Uh, there were only a handful of guys that were over 300 last year, and most of them were 304, 305. Now most of the linemen are over 300, and only a handful are just 305. A lot of them are in the three teens, the 320s. I mean, Myron Cunningham is up to like 325. Uh, that is an SEC left tackle. So uh, I'm I'm pretty i'm pleasantly surprised with how well they've been able to do that considering there was a good i don't know couple of months where players had to leave campus and could not work out at arkansas because of the pandemic they had to go home and get creative whether it be working out in the garage finding a weight room that was open that was uh and for them to do what they did i think that says a lot for the the coaching staff to be able to get them bought in so much that they are accountable on their own and you know Sam Pittman, one of his biggest off-season duties, or when he first got here, was um, keeping Rakeem Boyd. Uh, Boyd decided he was going to return to Arkansas, uh, see if he can improve his draft draft stock, and they seem to like have identified certain things that he needs to get better at. Uh, you know, catching the ball, um, his uh, protection, his blocking, stuff like that. Um, so they have a plan for him, but then it just seems like. He's really stepped up his leadership ability. Like before, he was always kind of like a team leader because he is a, a star on the team. But now it seems like he's even taking it a step further and being more of a role model for his teammates. Yeah, I asked him. He was one of the guys we got to talk to after Monday's practice, their first practice. And I asked him about, you know, Traylon Smith, uh, the transfer from Arizona State who had to sit out last year. And 
he was just so complimentary and saying like, you know, hey, I've, I've taken him under my wing. I don't think those were his exact words, but that's kind of the gist of it was, you know, I'm trying to bring this guy along and he has a really bright future and, you know, we're, we're competing, you know, for the same amount of carries and stuff, but, you know, they, they push each other. And so I think that's a really good to see from, from a star player because, you know, just because you're a star doesn't mean you're automatically a leader. Uh, CJ Exactly. <laughs> So Just the I, it, most recent example. So it's really good to see that from Rakeem. Rakeem, it seems like he is a true, you know, team guy that that really wants to. He's, I mean, hey, his two years here have been two and ten seasons. He he wants to win some games. Uh, obviously, he wants to improve his draft stock, but he wants to win some games. I also like hearing that Myron Cunningham has been a leader for the offensive line group because last year, you know, he came from JUCO. He was new to the team. He doesn't seem like a very talkative guy, but from what Sam Pittman has told us, he's really stepped up his leadership and I think they need that on the line I mean Ty Clary he was the center and he was a captain I think once or twice last season but now his position is a little bit more up in the air and you kind of need your leader to be a guy that's a definite starter right and I think Myron provides that for the team and then defensively we talked to Bumper Poole um, on Monday as well and he sounds you know exactly like you'd expect from a third-year guy who's definitely going to start um, and uh, you know he's all Arkansas so I'm sure he relates to Sam Pittman a lot in that kind of love for you know bringing Arkansas back to what it used to be. Yeah I think that's exactly right I mean he's a guy that came from Texas Uh, he's a Dallas guy or whatever but he he grew up cheering for the Razorbacks and it's kind of like Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman's from Oklahoma uh, but he always had a special connection to the Razorbacks, you know, came to camps here growing up. So uh, two guys that, that truly do care about the program. And, and Bumper's kind of like Rakeem. His two years here have, have been 2-10. and ten. He, he He's ready to win some games and, and maybe get this program going in the right direction. So Arkansas, hands down, toughest schedule of the 2020 season. I don't think that's really debatable. I've seen a lot of national writers talk about it as well, so it's not just us homers over here on the Arkansas beat that think that. Um, what was your reaction to saying Georgia and Florida added to the schedule? Well, I think uh, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated put it best when he wrote that Arkansas got the shaft. Uh, there yeah. is absolutely no question about it. Uh, they were already set to play Tennessee, which is the, the third-place team from the East last year, and Missouri, which is one of the three teams that tied for fourth uh, in the standings. And uh, that that's, you know, you think that, okay, you know, maybe they could add a Florida or a Georgia, but they're probably going to get also a Vanderbilt or a South Carolina. Uh, that was my, my kind of prediction, was they'd get one of the tough ones and one of the easy ones. But uh, Lo and behold, the SEC did what the SEC does and stuck it to Arkansas by giving them Florida and Georgia. You just There's no way to, to say that what happened was fair. I mean, I, I was willing to give the SEC the benefit of the doubt whenever I looked into the numbers. I went into it with an open mind. Uh, but what I found was that Arkansas's four SEC East opponents had a combined SEC record of 21-11 and 11 last year. That is two games better than any other uh, crossover slate for the SEC, three games better than anyone else in the West, and it's just uh, completely inexcusable when you got other teams that have four opponents like LSU, whose combined records were 13 and 18, or I guess it was 13, whatever. Uh, it was There was like an eight-game difference, and it's just, it was, it was, I was befuddled, uh, to put it lightly. I think Arkansas was kind of like collateral damage. I don't think they necessarily, you know, wanted to punish Arkansas I agree, yeah. or anything like that, but to elevate the teams in the conference that they want to be at the top and that have the national attention and um, LSU especially, a team that is losing a ton. Uh, they lost both coordinators. Well, they still have Steve Ensminger, but still, they lost a ton and yet they still put them in a position to do so well in the season. And I think that, you know, if it was, let's say, Ole Miss, who had had two really bad seasons and they were at the bottom of the conference, I think they would have done the same te- same thing to them as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they purposely set out, hey, let's screw Arkansas. I think it was more of how can we help Florida, how can we help Georgia, let's give them an easy opponent. Well, who's an easy opponent from the West? Well, 
there ain't no one easier than Arkansas right now, having lost 19 straight SEC games. So I, I can see that, but then come out and say that. You know, that's the most infuriating thing. Just come out and say, hey, we're trying to help the, the people that we think are have the best chance to, to win the division. Uh don't say don't we're trying to make it as competitive. Then don't say then anything. Yeah. Don't say anything then. Just say this is what we did. I mean, that was what's just... Uh, I think I, that's what the coaches got so upset about, allegedly, in their conference call, is that the SEC didn't give them any answers as to how they put it together. So, like, they didn't have to say anything, and then, then that kind of set them off. Because if you don't say anything, you're... You're silent, but you're still guilty. Yeah, there should have been some transparency, at least for the coaches, because, yeah, you had every right to be. You know, everyone was also getting fired up about Missouri because they added LSU and Alabama to their schedule. Uh, but I wasn't as offended by that uh, when you look at the numbers because they were already scheduled to play Arkansas and Mississippi State, which is two of the worst teams in the West. Right. So it makes sense to balance it out with two really good teams. So. Uh, I think that was frustrating. And, you know, the other thing, I, I was willing to give them a bit of the doubt of saying, hey, this is maybe the best they could do. But I sat down, and in a matter of, I don't know, four or five hours uh, with just using an Excel spreadsheet, I have zero scheduling experience in my life. I don't have any access to fancy algorithms or computer programs or anything like that. I just sat down and tried to hammer out a schedule, and lo and behold, I came up with one that instead of having an eight-game difference between the top uh, and the bottom schedules had just a three-game difference. And if I can do that, surely someone at the SEC office with way more resources could come up with something better than that. Now, not just looking at, you know, all the opponents, we now have the full schedule, the SEC, you know, milked it, did the first game like in the afternoon, and then released the full schedule in prime time on SEC Network. Um, Arkansas gets to open the season at home, but against the Georgia Bulldogs, who um, look like they're just going to be as dominant as ever. Um, so uh, not great. Um, provide storylines for us journalists. We, we like to have something that's intriguing about a game. I think that's why we never really enjoy the Missouri game because there's just not, you know, we hold on to, oh, well, they have some players from Arkansas and, and stuff like that. Like, that's that's kind of the calling card of that game. Um, but, you know, now this game against Georgia, Sam Pittman facing his old team and not just Pittman, uh, Scott Fountain, a lot of support staff guys, the strength staff, uh, a lot of guys came with Sam Pittman from Georgia, and it's not surprising why, because he just has this, like, you know, air about him that people just love to be around him. So it's going to be a really intriguing game, and I also think it's going to be a great benchmark game for Arkansas. If they put up fight, that is a fantastic sign for the rest of the season. If not, you're, you're still kind of left with questions, like... Is it because Georgia's just that dominant, or has Arkansas not gotten that much better? Um, but what do you think of just how the schedule is laid out? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have to play Georgia, you know, if that's the, the game they're going to give you, you might as well play in week one. Uh, before the schedule was actually announced, I, I asked Sam Pittman if, if there was any advantage to playing Georgia whenever he had spent the last four years there, and he said, maybe a little bit you know more so if they get them early in the season because uh you know there's not as much tape out there and stuff uh and sure enough they get them week one that's early in the season and uh you also got georgia from georgia's perspective they're still probably going to be figuring things out they did lose several pieces they've got several new assistant coaches a new offensive coordinator i believe and they've got you know a quarterback battle on their hands with uh, the Wake Forest transfer, uh, Jamie, Jamie Newman, Newman yep. and then uh, JT Daniels from yep, USC. USC yep. So, I mean, we saw how it worked at Arkansas when you got two transfer yeah. quarterbacks. Now, those guys are obviously a lot better than a Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle, but it's still, if you've got two guys vying for it, if they split time in fall camp and don't have a starter going in, you know, clear-cut starter, then uh, maybe that works to Arkansas's advantage. I don't think it's going to change it to Arkansas having a chance to win. I think Georgia's going to win. Uh, but, hey, there there may be some things working in Arkansas's favor. Just looking at Georgia's recruiting rankings over the past four years, because I've been doing, like, a first-look series, and in that it's, like, a look back at their offense, defense, and then how they've recruited over the past four years. And Kirby Smart, I think he's been there now that the entire roster is his. He has shaped it exactly how he wants it. 
He gets the benefit of all those very highly ranked offensive linemen that Sam Pittman brought in. They just retool every single season. Um, I think their average finishing class rank the past four years has been like third. That's what you get when you get with these these big-time programs. I mean, you see it with Alabama, and you see it with uh, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. They're always up there. You see it with, like, Kentucky basketball and Arkansas baseball. I mean, these programs, they don't they don't just rebuild. They, they reload. I know that's a cliche, but that is that is the case. You've got really talented players coming up through the ranks that are, are ready to play, even if they are a little bit inexperienced. They could literally field a full team of – five stars and then have like three rows of depth of four stars that's how ridiculous their recruiting is compared to Arkansas but um, moving on to the Florida game you know Felipe Franks gets to go back to Gainesville to play his former team Uh, I saw what Dan Mullen had to say about it he was like this is not ideal would rather not play him Um, I think it's because there's like a lot of emotion there like I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for Felipe to leave Florida Um, he always wanted to be there he's a Florida kid Um, and I'm sure like Dan Mullen he's known as like a quarterback guru I don't think you become uh, known for that without being able to develop really good relationships with your quarterbacks Uh, but I feel like it gives them a tiny bit of an advantage to but then at the same time, Florida is going to know Felipe's tendencies and stuff like that and maybe how to push him to make a mistake. And who knows what it's going to look like because that game's later in the season. Right. So, I mean, who knows what Arkansas looks like? Who knows what Florida looks like? Who knows if there's players out because they're in quarantine, uh, injuries, but that's every year. So uh, it's really hard to know if that's going to be much of an advantage one way or the other I do think it's a, a great storyline for us to write about and talk about and it's probably gonna be a cool moment for Felipe because as you said he's a Florida kid he's not just someone who went to Florida because it's Florida Gators he went there because that's that's his home t- uh, home state so and he was a starter for a whole season and exa- then the start of and helped them win 10 or 11 games and get to a New Year's Six Bowl I yeah. mean he, he was successful there so it's got to be a, a bittersweet moment for him uh, to go back there and, and maybe maybe he'll be fired up to say hey you should have kept me instead of you know Kyle Trask I'm the guy that's better so uh, I, I it's I just hope we can get to that point of the season and talk about it that week yeah um, if you had an we've seen some over-unders for like win totals on the season but start with over-under how many games do do SEC teams play this year like if, oh. I, if I gave you if I gave you seven games over under I would say over I could see the teams averaging eight or nine uh, I would be surprised if everyone made it through and played 10 there may be a handful that play 10 but I think there's going to be some I don't think there's going to be an equal number of games between every school yeah. it's going to be hard I don't know how they're going to do it with standings and stuff but they're going to try to make games up with the bye weeks and everything but yeah I don't I don't know uh, if they're going to get all 10 games now, one that's for real because, you know, we actually have some background info to be able to pull on this. Uh, I've seen a one-and-a-half over-under, and I've seen two-and-a-half. But on both of those, what would you what would you go with? Uh, if it was two-and-a-half, I'd bet my under. life savings on, on under. The under, yeah. Uh, there is no <laughs> doubt because I just – you're looking at a football team in Arkansas that has won one SEC game in the last three years combined. If they won two, that would be a successful year in my opinion – Three, three would just be absolutely phenomenal, and that probably requires you be winning the three games that would be considered maybe toss-ups. The Mississippi schools, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, now one and a half is a much better number because then you're like, okay, do I think they're gonna? I think they're gonna win a game somewhere. I do. I don't think they're gonna go zero and ten. I think takes exposed. Just mark this. Yeah, exactly. But are they going to get that second game? It just kind of depends on where that first one comes. I mean, if they maybe if they beat Mississippi State week two, maybe they get enough confidence where they can turn around two weeks later and beat Ole Miss. Uh, that would be that would give you two wins and you'd hit the over. So that's probably a better number if I was you know a gambler and putting a, putting out a line for Vegas uh, because I'm not sure which way I'd bet on that. I probably wouldn't touch it. But the yeah. two and a half that that seems pretty easy for me. I even texted one of my buddies that I know likes to gamble. I said, man. I don't give you much gambling advice, but 
bet your bet your house, bet your life savings, bet your car on the under because I just I don't see them winning three games. Maybe that makes me pessimistic. I don't know. That's just my opinion, though. Where do you think the easiest win lies? Well, you're looking at probably one of the two Mississippi schools early in the really? season. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, that's yeah, I mean, early in the season. Because Missouri, where it falls, I mean, that's a murderous row. They end after that bye week. It is just brutal. Uh, I would feel better about Mississippi State and uh, Ole Miss, like if they weren't right after Georgia and right after Auburn. Uh, but still, those are those are games you could probably win. I think Mike Leach is going to take some time to get his system down. I mean, he struggled for a couple of years at Washington State before he really got the ball rolling. So I think that would maybe be a great shot. It is in Starkville, but you know how much of a home field advantage is there this year with you know, you know, yeah, I think home field advantage is honestly thrown out the window at this point. Like, yeah. I'm not going to factor that in It really may be at all. bigger in Starkville just because if they are at 20%, they're going to sound really freaking loud because they've got the, the cowbells, but I don't know. <laughs> um, when we get back, I'm going to have our new contributor, Jackson Collier, on to talk hoops, and then Hutch will be back to give us his reaction from the first viewing of a Sam Pittman era practice. Stay with us. Hey everybody, we're back on the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Rivals and Hogbeat.com. I'm Nikki Chavanel and I'm here with Jackson Collier, our new contributor for hoops and also recruiting. Jackson, um, tell the Hogbeat Hour audience a little bit about yourself and, and why you wanted to help us out on Hogbeat. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, Nikki. I really appreciate it. Um, So I'm Jackson Collier. Y'all might know me if you're on Razorback Twitter at all. I have the Twitter handle JCHoopsPod. Um, I started off uh, doing journalism in undergrad for a little bit and ultimately decided to change my major and go down a completely different path. But I've always been big into the Razorbacks. I grew up a massive Razorback fan. Um, and I've always enjoyed writing and, and doing journalism type stuff and telling stories. So I kind of picked that up as a hobby, uh, fairly recently and just started a Twitter page, started my own little WordPress thing. And, uh, from there I just kept getting different, uh, opportunities. Um, I got offered a position at, uh, natural state sports and they, uh, let me cover basketball for them for a little bit uh, while I was still an undergrad. And then now I am fortunate enough to be able to be a contributor to Rivals now, covering recruiting and uh, anything else basketball-related that I can think to write about. We're super excited. Your first um, episode of the JC Hoops pod on our platform, uh, you're going to have Mike Neighbors, right? What are you uh, looking forward to hearing from him? Yeah, so I'm super excited to have Mike Neighbors on the show. Uh, he's a really, really down-to-earth guy. I've sat in a couple of uh, Zoom meetings with him before, and uh, I had a mutual contact actually put me in contact uh, with Coach Neighbors. I'm really looking forward to talking to him about um, just how he goes about building a program, um, what it was like facing early adversity after he had uh, – gone to the final four at Washington and then came into Arkansas on a rebuild job. Um, obviously he's from Arkansas and it was kind of his dream job, but I want to get his, uh, kind of his thoughts on what it was like going from that level of, of success to trying to build something up again and then talk to him a little bit about things he said at different, um, coaching clinics. Uh, my dad was a high school coach here in the state and went to one of coach neighbors clinics when he was at Washington and one thing that stuck out to my dad was this rule that uh, neighbors implemented on his Washington roster where if a player is green-lighted to shoot, then he can't say anything uh, to them if they take any shot at any point in the game. Um, and one story he told was they were in the it was the Sweet 16 or, or something like that in the NCAA tournament, and they were down by uh, probably 10, and there was – this uh, he had this player who was green lighted who kept jacking up threes and they kept falling behind. But 
he said he couldn't say anything to her because that was the team rule and uh, she was green lighted. So he didn't try to stop it. He just let her play. Um, eventually she shot them back into the game and they won. So just kind of his philosophy on that. And if he has any other cool stories like that. That's awesome. Well, we're definitely looking forward to hearing that. Um, you can find all these podcasts on the Hogbeat channel, both on Spotify and Apple. So yeah, go check those out. We're really excited to bring Jackson's podcast to our platform because he gets a lot of great guests and he does great interviews. I was myself an interviewee a couple weeks ago, so we're really excited for that. Um, There was breaking news this week on multiple fronts in uh, Arkansas hoops news. So starting with, you know, the disappointing news, Isaiah Joe two weeks ago said he was coming back and then he posted on Monday on Twitter in what almost looked like like a fake message. Like I was like, what day is it today? Is it April 1st? Because I thought it just looked like a joke. <laughs> and, um, you know, turns out he is re-entering the draft and he won't be on the Razorback squad this season uh, for his third year. What was your reaction to that and did you see it coming at all? No, I did not see it coming, and I, I kind of had the same thought that you did um, as far as seeing the message, because it didn't look like a, <laughs> not to say it looked illegitimate, but it wasn't like something from It wasn't a your, notes app or like yeah, a graphic, was it was like a fake text message. <laughs> it yeah, was so it, was, it was odd, but, uh, but it came from his official account, and so uh, I, I, I didn't know what to make of it at first, and I didn't really read it all that closely at first because like what is Isaiah Joe making an announcement about Um, because the news had just come out so recently that he was coming back so um, I was very surprised that he announced and looking back now uh, the past week or however long it's been since since he's decided to go back into the draft I guess it does make sense with kind of the uncertainty of the status of the season. Uh, Obviously, we're assuming and hoping that we will play a full season, but there's still that uh, sense of we don't know. Um, On top of that, there have been quite a few uh, players who have opted to come back that people might not have expected to come back and stay in the draft. So maybe Joe felt like with the uncertainty and with other guys dropping out of the draft that he had a chance to – go back in it and find himself drafted in the late first or maybe even low to mid-second round. The coaching staff was obviously just thrilled when he announced that he was staying. Um, they all shared different, you know, like, I'm I'm back uh, graphics and stuff like that. And you, you, you notice they weren't making any graphics for him when he was announcing he was leaving again. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure they weren't too happy about that. But just generally, this lineup that they have for 2020 is head and shoulders above what they had on the squad last year, even without, you know, Mason Jones, who ended up winning SEC Player of the Year, you know, as one of three winners. And then Isaiah Joe, um, they've managed to retool really well. So um, just do you feel like their ceiling is still as high, or is it just too early to tell? I feel like the ceiling is almost as high if not right as high I feel like Isaiah Joe is an incredible player and he was going to likely be the Razorbacks leading scorer again this year Um, but there is a bunch of talent and him declaring and going back to the draft again essentially that just opens the door for a younger guy to step in uh, earlier than expected you have uh K.K. Robinson, who has been shining in camp. You have uh, Devontae Davis, who was a triple-double machine in high school and has great size at guard. Um, And then even if you wanted to go with uh, more versatility in in the big lineup, if you wanted to move Justin Smith to the three-type role and play Vance Jackson at the four and Jalen Williams at the five, you could do that too. There's just – there are so many different options Uh, right now and removing Isaiah Joe because he would have been a starter no doubt Um, so you take him out of the starting lineup and you lose uh, an elite three-point shooter and you lose what is likely your leading scorer 
But in some cases, you open up a lot of flexibility to do any number of different things that you still could have done with Isaiah Joe on the roster. Um, but it would have been harder to justify not playing Isaiah Joe. Now you don't have that problem, and you can pretty much just, if you're Eric Musselman, you can figure any number of roster scenarios, rotation scenarios that you want now. Yeah, I think that's a strength that Musselman has. And even if Isaiah Joe had stayed, you know, there would be nights where he's not on or he has a really great defender on him and he's just not as effective. So they would have had to find ways to score without him anyway. So now you're just kind of expecting others to step up. Um, And I'm sure the freshmen are excited for that. They've They've come here for a reason. Um, I don't think a lot of people see Devo Davis getting a ton of minutes in the, in his first year, but now I think it opens up a little bit more for him. And then Moses Moody gets to be the star that I think a lot of people think that he's going to be. Um, I don't know about one and done, but he has a ton of tools at his disposal, and now he has just a much bigger opportunity, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. And one thing I've noticed, and I understand these are very limited clips and selected clips that the uh, social media guys are putting out from practice, mm-hmm. but we're seeing a level of athleticism and, and bounce from Moses Moody that I don't think a lot of people expected. Uh, people knew about his really long wingspan, they knew about his talent, they knew about his shooting ability and, and all this other stuff, but his athleticism, his, his vertical, it's increased quite a bit since he's uh, got on campus. And that's something I think that is really going to surprise a lot of Arkansas fans and even possibly some uh, NBA teams and GMs uh, when they watch him play next year. You're going to have Moses Moody uh, potentially be the focal point. I, I bet he and Vance Jackson will be the focal points of this offense. And... I think there is a very good chance with Isaiah Joe not in the picture anymore that Moses Moody ends up being a one-and-done just because of that increased athleticism on top of all the skills he possesses already. Now, Eric Musselman hasn't used the transfer portal to try to replace Isaiah Joe up till this point, but he did go into the portal to find a pretty serviceable walk-on in Brandon Kimball, um, who was at Mississippi Valley State, um, averaged you know, 4.8 points, but led the team in rebounds. So, you know, I like that he's going into the portal to find someone that could maybe even potentially go to another D1 on scholarship, but they managed to get him to come to Arkansas, a high-level program, and be a walk-on. Eric Musselman just continues to surprise me. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's, it's kind of, in a way, it's similar to being able to hire a head coach away from a smaller school. You're hiring a, or, or not hiring, but you're right. you're landing a, a walk-on, uh, so you're not using a scholarship on a guy who is good enough to be a scholarship player at the Division One level. Um, you're adding experience, you're adding size, and you're adding a capable body who can actually help progress these young uh, post players that you have uh, on your roster. So even if he never sees the floor, which if we see uh, an injury or two, he's pretty serviceable to play five minutes or so here and there uh, if, if we absolutely need him. But um, you have a guy who averaged six rebounds a game. I mean, that's those, those are pretty solid numbers. And you're going to put him up against a freshman Jalen Williams and a redshirt sophomore Connor Vanover. He can try to push him a little bit. He can try to bully him a little bit. Give him give him some of that D one experience he already has. Vanover played uh, as a true freshman at Cal and then sat out last year. Um, Jalen Williams hasn't played any college minutes yet. So at the very least, you get someone with Division one basketball experience that's going to try to help push your and push and develop your younger post players. Musselman still has that open spot. Um, if you're him, do you envision him, um, you know, trying to fill that right now or holding out for the 2021 class where he already has two commits and several more spots open? That's, it's a hard, it's hard to answer because there are so few, um, options left in 2020. There's one, uh, transfer from San Diego, which we all know Mus is from San Diego. Um, don't know if there's any 
legitimate connection. I can't think of his name right now, but um, he averaged something around 14 points a game and 33 to 35% from the three-point line. He's 6'4", 6'5", obviously coming from a lower program, but he's a guy who could potentially be a roster spot filler. He only has one year of eligibility remaining, so uh, that scholarship would only be taken up for this year, um, which leaves a spot open for 21 and 22, whatever uh, Musselman wants to do with it. At this point, I really don't think I see Musselman filling it. We played last year with an open roster spot. I can envision us doing that again this year, especially with um, the thinking that Musselman has of, hey, we're going to have X amount of sit-out guys this year uh, so that we don't have any guys complaining about playing time. Well, everybody's eligible right now, and you lose a roster spot. So you have 12 filled scholarships, and you have um, Bebe injured with a torn ACL right now, which leaves 11 really eligible players right now. Yeah, um, I would be down for a sit one that they could develop over the year, but it just doesn't look like there's a whole lot of really promising options left at this point in the transfer portal because, you know, like I was tracking it all off season long and there were just so many names on the board and they're all gone. So, um, yeah, thanks Jackson. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll get you on next week too. Sweet. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Awesome. Hey everybody, we are back on the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. Just real quick, if you want to subscribe to Hogbeat, uh, we have 30 days free. If you are a new subscriber, you can get 30, 30 days free anytime with code HAWGS30. Um, and that's just to kind of check us out, and I'm pretty sure you'll be hooked after that. Um, Hutch is back. He was just out on the field for 15 minutes. That just flew by uh, for the second practice of the Sam Pittman era. Uh, Hutch, what did you get to see? Yeah, I mean, I blinked and it was over. I mean, it was super quick, but it was great to be back out there on the practice field uh, where I was positioned, which, as we mentioned earlier, I was stuck in a little six-foot box, so I couldn't really move around. I was positioned right by the offensive line, uh, so I got a kind of a, a decent picture of what the depth chart looks right there. Uh, it, it looks like uh, Ricky Stromberg is still the first-team center as of right now. Uh, I think that was a, probably the most significant move as far as the offensive line is concerned because uh, you know, he was a talented offensive guard last year. Um, that, was, that was intriguing. Ty Clary is still the second-team center. I thought he might, and he may still. Uh, it's still just practice number two of fall camp. Uh, he he may get a look at guard, but he was still the the backup center. Uh, so that was that was interesting to see. Uh, it was really kind of hard. They they did kind of uh, the interior offensive lineman. They'd go like guard center guard. They'd do a, a drill, and then on the other uh, few feet away, there was like the the tackles going through drills. And so it's kind of hard to get a perfect picture. But obviously, no surprise, Myron Cunningham looked to be. Uh, the first team left tackle. I couldn't quite tell who the right tackle was going to be because I couldn't quite get the the rotation down. I couldn't tell if it was Dalton Wagner or Noah Gatlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, both those guys were were getting reps. I think so. I I bet that's still probably a, an a, a, yeah. open competition. So how'd they look physically? I mean, they looked good physically. I mean, they looked larger. Uh, you could tell. I mean, when guys were gaining twenty pounds, I mean, you noticed that. Uh, so they they looked large. You know, I got a. I saw Jalen St. John. He is a large human being. Uh, so that was that was uh, a good to see. You know, uh, they had they had a bunch of linemen out there. That's the other thing that just the, the volume of linemen they have. Because you know, a couple of years ago, there were times where they were practicing with nine guys. They didn't have enough for two deep. But they had all sorts of guys over there. I even saw one of the the long snappers, John Orline. Uh, working with the offensive line as well to, to even provide even more depth. So it was a, it was an interesting little thing. I mean, as I said, I mean, it was over before I knew it. Um, and then what – was it all individual, the, the portions that you got to see? Yeah, it was all individual. I think the quarterbacks may have been throwing some routes to, to receivers. However, that was on the complete opposite end of the field, so I couldn't see anything. I've got bad eyes anyways. Uh, so that was, that was tough to see. Um, but – it was, uh, yeah, all individual drills. I saw the defensive line came over and did some stuff on the sleds. You know, I noticed guys like um, Teo Soli and Jashad Stewart, guys that we think might be kind of that jack 
uh, position, mm -hmm. which is usually a Jack linebacker, but it sounds like it's going to be more of a Jack defensive end, and they're mm -hmm. still working with you know the defensive ends like Dorian Gerald and Julius Coates, guys like that. Just how easily is it to spot Julius Coates out there? Yeah, I didn't even need to look at his number. Uh, he <laughs> he's so he big. stood out. I mean, he was a physical specimen. He's also got a lot of hair too. So I saw him take his helmet off, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was quite a bit of hair. So uh, that was it was it was good. It was just good more than anything. It was good to be out there. I know one thing some fans are get all been out of shape about that. The first thing you notice is there was not music blaring during the practice, and that was something Sam Pittman told us would be the case, uh, that they only do that during warm-ups and stretching and stuff, uh, but there was there was no music. It, it was kind of nice, uh, just because it was so loud uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, you could actually hear the coaches yelling instructions and stuff like that, so that was, that was kind of cool. I mean, it's a lot more realistic of what a game situation is like. Like, yeah, there's PA noise and stuff, but you, like, you need to be totally focused on what you're doing, not like singing lyrics and stuff. As much fun as that is and as much as it, like, it does provide a certain amount of juice when you're practicing, I think it's more important to be focused on the technique. And you need to be teaching. Yeah, and what your coach is saying. So um, I'm sure there are some players that wish there was still music, but if uh, the record's better, I don't think they'll really <laughs> care all that much. Um, any Anything else that you noticed out there, maybe Pittman um, and what he was up to? Yeah, I saw Pittman. You know, I was wondering if he might spend a little extra time with the offensive line uh, just because that is his background. But he did come over, and I heard him yelling some encouraging, you know, at a boy, you know, good job type thing. But next thing I know, I, I turned around, I looked at another drill, and I looked back, and he was gone. So that shows me that he's really, truly bouncing around to all the position groups. Uh, so that was that was interesting. I, I, this is going to be something I kind of keep an eye on throughout just because, you know, you would like to think he's going to have a, a big hand on the offensive line. But he has said throughout the offseason, I've asked him multiple times, he seems very confident in Brad Davis as being capable of, of leading that offensive line unit. And Chad Morris, he used to like very much roam around the quarterbacks, and much good it did to do that, right? <laughs> like he's a quarterback coach, and it didn't really help him there. So um, I think, you know, Pittman trusts his guys, and he's going to let them do what they do. Barry Odom was a head coach. I don't think he really needs to help Barry Odom very much with his defense. So um, did you notice Odom out there? Uh, well, the defense was on the other field. They've got if you if you're familiar with the practice field layout at Arkansas, there's the the indoor facility, and then running perpendicular to that field are two practice fields, one grass, one turf. I was on the turf or on the the grass side, uh, which is closest to Razorback Road, and uh, that was where the offense was. I kind of got a decent look at the running backs. Uh, didn't really get any takeaways because they were just doing little. Like kind of blocking type mm -hmm. drills, not really anything of note. Uh, the defense was on the complete other side of the field. I tried to squint and look over there. I've got binoculars, but it was such a short amount of time that I, I did. I, one, I forgot about the binoculars, and even if I remembered, it probably would have taken up a couple of minutes just to get it out and get everything set up, and boom, it was over. So didn't really get any good look at the, the defense other than when the defensive ends came over and did some sled work. Before I let you go, I know you were really excited about this. Um, Arkansas baseball added a new volunteer assistant who is a familiar face and one of your favorite former players. So tell the fans about why they should be excited about him. Yeah, Bobby Wernis. Uh, you may remember him as a, the third baseman on the 2015 College World Series team. He was at Arkansas uh, 2014 and 2015. Extremely good defensive third baseman. Uh, he played a little bit in the pros, but then the last two years he got into coaching and was actually going to be a manager uh, in the Phillies organization for one of their rookie ball teams uh, before the season got canceled. But now he is coming back to Fayetteville, and he's going to be the volunteer assistant. Uh, this is obviously an unpaid position. This was the there was a big old ordeal right. where they were hoping to get a third assistant coach for baseball, got shot down. Uh, but he's coming back to Arkansas. This is a guy that Van Horn is very familiar with. Always praised him when he was here as being just a a baseball dude. He knows his stuff. Uh, and I think he's going to really help uh, the the team as far he's going to work specifically with the catchers. Obviously, he wasn't a catcher at Arkansas, but uh, he's going to work with them and then also the infielders, some and the hitters. And I think that's excellent because he was one of those guys that made a jump from one year to the next offensively that it was really impressive. I mean, he hit like 217 with one extra base hit as 
uh, a sophomore JUCO transfer, and then his junior year in 2015 when they made it to the College World Series, had like 18 extra base hits and uh, was hit hit like 275, 280, something like that. Just a tremendous turnaround and really was a key to that team making it all the way to Omaha. Uh, that was the Andrew Benatendi year. Uh, but he he had the big home run uh, against Florida in the SEC tournament down in Hoover. I think it was like at 1 a.m. or something like that. I remember I had my entire story written ready to go that Arkansas lost, and uh, he hit a home run. Arkansas won. I had to completely redo it at 1 a.m. in the morning. So, uh, but I'm I'm excited to see what he can do as as a volunteer assistant, and uh, I think he's a a really solid addition. Somebody that really cares about the program as a former player. Yeah, I think it's always good to bring former players back. You don't have any assistants who were players here at Arkansas on the football team right now. You know, Barry Lenny uh, left last year. Uh, and then basketball, obviously, not any on there. You have Khalil Garden, uh, Garland as a as a student assistant, so that's nice. Uh, but always good to have the former Hogs back on the hill and just, like, that kind of bridges the gap between um, the team now and the former former players. You don't see a lot of former players around here. Maybe that will change now that Pittman's here. Exactly. I mean, Pittman... He, he didn't come to Arkansas, obviously. I think he wanted to when he was coming out of school because right. he went to, a, you know, Pitt State. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it is really good to see it. You know, there's always usually a student assistant or two that was were former players on Van Horn staff, and to have one as a volunteer assistant, which is basically your third assistant, uh, says a lot, and I think that's good. He's a younger guy, so he's going to relate really well to uh, the players. So that that's always a good addition to have on your staff. For a second, just just tell Hogby subscribers, you know, how you feel about them sticking with us through this through this time. Man, I appreciate it so much. I mean, this this is my dream job personally, and the only reason it's possible is because of y'all uh, that are subscribing. Uh, y'all pay, you know, ten dollars a month or hundred dollars a year, whatever. I know that's no small fee, uh, especially if y'all you know have families and stuff and tough times economically in the country. Uh, for y'all to, to make us part of your day, uh, part of your budget, uh, means a lot. And that's why I try so hard every single day to bring y'all quality content. I don't ever just throw up, you know, crap. Uh, I, I try to make it something worthwhile, worth your time to read, and worth your investment into us. So I really appreciate y'all sticking around through this, uh, through this whole uh, pandemic. I concur. No, no crap, no clickbait, no uh, everything you need to know on Hogbeat. Um, if you are not a subscriber and you want to join, you can try 30 days free with code HOGS30. Or um, we have promos for both students and right now first responders. We want to thank all the first responders out there um, and the students. We know it's a, a tough time. You know, you probably don't have jobs. You're just trying to learn something through your computer right now but uh, you can email me at nchavanel at yahoo.com let me know you're a first responder or student and I will get you a discount on a full year of Hogbeat so that you can always know what your Razorbacks are up to without having to sacrifice too much more than you already do thanks everybody we'll catch you next week on the Hogbeat Hour Beat Hour